Amen. Well, Psalm 118, verse 24 says, This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Certainly, if you have breath in your body today, if you are watching this live stream, you have something to be grateful about. And therefore, Jesus deserves the praise for that. There's a verse tucked away in the book of Daniel that that literally says that the very next breath you breathe is held in God's hand. Consider that with me for a second. Like just breathe in and breathe out. When you breathe in and breathe out, just know that you got that breath from God. I know there's nobody in this room, but wherever you are, you should just say amen to that right there. Certainly, we serve a good God that has been gracious to us. We are meeting today in a very unique way. We are bringing to you a live stream, uh, such a techie age that we live in. And, and I'm grateful that we get to pipe the gospel out in such a, a very unique way. Uh, why don't you do me a favor, wherever you are, uh, whatever device you're streaming this from, if you are streaming this from uh, a, a, a phone or you're streaming this from a laptop, whatever you are streaming this from, do me a favor and just hit share, invite somebody, uh, text somebody and tell somebody to come on in and enjoy uh, the worship and, and enjoy the preaching of the gospel today. I know there's at least one person that you've tried to invite, Epiphany, you've tried to invite them to the church and it's been a hard time trying to get them here. Here. Do me a favor. Won't you go ahead and just invite them on in, ask them to come on in and hang out with us because we will have a good time uh, today. Uh, but let me quickly publicly rush really quickly to thank God for a few uh, a few people. First of all, I want to thank God for the worship team leading us so well today uh, in worshiping Jesus. We do this every single Sunday, uh, three times on a Sunday, 9.30, 11.30, and 1.30. We gather together as the body to worship Jesus. I love that, man. And I'm grateful for our worship team that leads us in Chris Lilly and, and Josh and all of the band and all of the worship singers that... Um, Gave up some time today to come out to make sure that we were bringing worship to you. Also want to thank God for uh, all of our tech team that is here. We have a whole crew that is here at the building right now. It's unique because I'm the only one in the sanctuary except for the tech team, and I'm grateful for them. And I just want to give a quick shout out to Ed as well. He has been working here tirelessly all week long, uh, been here late, been here early in the mornings just to make sure that we had the ability to bring you this live stream. Well, it's time for the word of God. Deuteronomy 8.3 will say it this way. Man cannot live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. So do me a favor, wherever you are, grab your Bibles, grab your device. Uh, if you're grabbing your laptop or your device, uh, get out of the work emails, uh, get off the games, get off of uh, scrolling on social media, hang out with us for a little bit in the book of Romans. Go to Romans chapter 10 is where we are going to be hanging out today. It is so interesting. Our church has been going through uh, an entire book of the Bible, this book in the New Testament called the Book of Romans. And, and it's so interesting, you know, having a church that is filled with millennials, not just millennials, but we're 92% uh, in our 20s. I'm not, but the church is 92% in their 20s. And it's so amazing to me that uh, we have a church that is hungry for the word of God, 
so much so that they'll allow us to go through books of the Bible. And so we've been going on a journey through the book of Romans, and this is our fifth book as a church that we're going through. This, it's 16 chapters long, so we took a little bit of a break after chapter 7, and now we are back in it, and we are committed. The Bible says don't make a vow to the Lord unless you're willing to keep it. And so uh, we've kept this vow that we're going to go through all 16 chapters, and I'm excited today to dig back in to the Word of God. Last week, Paul... Um, he beat us up a little bit. If you want to check out the podcast, you should go there and check it out after this stream. But Paul beat us up a little bit last week and hit us with some hard theological truths and some, uh, some really difficult doctrine, if you will. Uh, but nevertheless, we trust the word of God and, and we trust that God is uh, using and inspiring Paul to speak to us through chapter nine. And I ended our sermon last week and I, I was talking last week when I ended the sermon specifically about how Paul did not disconnect theology from evangelism. But but Paul was like, man, I need y'all to share your faith. I need you to get into the lives of people that are lost and people that are hungry and people that are broken. And so so he challenged us, if you will, and said, listen, y'all need to get out and you need to share your faith. He showed us the burden, the anguish that he had over the lost people that were in Israel and in Jerusalem and Uh, After I encouraged the church, I I really left them with a rhetorical question. And the rhetorical question was this. When is the last time that you shared the gospel? If you've trusted in Jesus, when is the last time you told somebody about Jesus? Ponder that for a second. Just think about that for a second. We, We are now in March. It's March 15th. Have you shared the gospel all year long? Many of us, if we're honest, we have not. And we've had opportunities to. But despite the fact that we've had opportunities, we haven't taken advantage of them. And so I challenged the church last week. If you were here, if you're a part of our church, you in the comment section, you should just be saying amen right now because I did challenge the church. And uh, hopefully after today's message, because what we're going to do now is we're going to take this big idea of evangelism and boil it down. What does evangelism look like? Praise God. You told me to get out and share my faith. How do I do that? that that's the question. Can I be honest, even as a pastor, sometimes I struggle with what does it mean? Like, how do I share my faith? I've missed opportunities before. Uh, I, I haven't taken advantage of the relationships that God has given me to steward them to the glory and the honor of Jesus Christ. And so how do we share our faith? What does evangelism look like? I, I'm glad you asked because Paul is going to deal directly with that. Uh, let me do this. Normally, I read the whole chapter or I read the verses we're, we're preaching from and after reading it, I pray and I announce a topic, but I'm going to just pray right now and then I'll announce where we're going and then we'll dig into the word of God. Uh, Father, we do echo the words of the prophet Samuel in 1 Samuel 3.10 where he says, speak, Lord, for your servants are listening. It's in Christ's name we give all glory. Amen. I want to preach today from the topic entitled Interactive Social Distancing. Now, I know that's an oxymoron, so, so sit with that for a second. Interactive social distancing. This, this term social, distance, uh, social distancing has been used all week long. I, I have seen health officials use this. I've seen politicians use this. I've seen uh, uh, news analysts and news anchors and political analysts and just regular uh, citizens uh, use this, uh, th- this term of social distancing. What does that mean? 
really social distancing by definition, if I could just read a definition to you, by definition it says this, it's a term that's applied to the infection control actions that are taken by public health officials to stop or slow down the spread of a highly contagious disease. While we're in a season right now of a health crisis and epidemic Uh, I understand why we are doing social distancing. The reason we're not meeting as a church right now is because we are practicing this idea of social distancing. But here's my fear. And here's what I got up this morning and prayed for you about those of you who are piped in and and you, you, you are streaming. And those of you who are out there, I've prayed for you that we wouldn't allow if you've trusted in Jesus, you won't allow social distancing to be a normal, regular rhythm of your life. Unfortunately, many of us have practiced spiritual social uh, distancing. And and so what happens is, yes, when when a time of an epidemic, it is important to make sure you are uh, taking distance from yourself and from people to slow down the virus and slow down the spreading. But if you're not careful, if you're doing that spiritually, what you're doing is slowing down the spreading of the gospel. You, you were slowing down people from hearing about Jesus and giving their lives to the greatest person in this world and the greatest person in heaven, Jesus Christ. And, and so if we're not careful, we will practice this idea of social distancing on a consistent basic basis. And so what I want to do today is r- really break down what it looks like to be interactive. I mean, we got a season, I get it. We get a season where we got a distance, but after that season has passed and the, the coronavirus has passed, who in your life will benefit from you being a Christian? Let me say that again. Who in your life will benefit from you being a Christian? Certainly the Lord does not put us in relationships by osmosis. Certainly the Lord doesn't put us on our jobs by osmosis. He, he doesn't just uh, drop you into the places that you dwell and the, the places that you hang out. He doesn't do there haphazardly. He does so for a reason. And so what I want to do today is really deal with four principles that are found in verse uh, chapter 10 of the book of Romans. There are four principles specifically on this idea of evangelism. Let's start here. At the foundation of sharing your faith is a burden. You have to have a burden in order to share your faith. That's the foundation. It starts with a desire. And in fact, Paul will say it this way, uh, whatever device you are grabbing right now to look at your Bible, or if you're spiritual, like we joke around in, in our church and say, if you are more spiritual than everybody else, you got a physical copy. Uh, verse one says this, brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. Like, sit on that for a second. Paul literally just said his greatest desire is to see people saved. Sharing your faith starts with a burden. Sharing your faith starts with a passion. Sharing your faith starts with a desire. In fact, Paul dealt with this last week. If you guys were in our local uh, church here, Paul dealt in chapter 9 and verse 2 and 3. He talked about how he is an unceasing anguish. And he says he goes so far as to say something that I haven't heard many Christians say, which is, I wish that I could be cut off from Christ for the sake of my kinsmen. Paul literally said, I wish that I could move my spot out of heaven and put somebody else in it. That is the type of desire. That is the type of passion that he had for people that do not know Jesus. And my question is, do we have that same desire? Do we have that same passion? We learned as a kid sharing is caring. 
I'll, I'll put it another way. If you don't care, you won't share bars. If, if you don't if you don't tell if you don't have a desire to share the gospel, you won't do it. And so Paul says he has his heart's desire is that they may be saved. And so he is desiring to see them know Jesus. In 2017, I went to uh, Israel. I tell Israel stories all the time. I, I had one of the greatest times I had was when I was in uh, Jerusalem and, and Tel Aviv and Bethlehem. And uh, at the end of my trip, I was there for 10 days. And at the end of my trip from being there for 10 days, it was so interesting. They took us to the Mount of Olives. I don't know if you've ever been to Jerusalem. You probably can Google it right now sitting at home. But at the Mount of Olives literally sits up and it looks down over all of Jerusalem. And as, I, as I'm looking at Jerusalem, I, I can't help but think of how beautiful it is. I can't help but look at Jerusalem. And that, that moment was special for some reason. The, 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 the clouds were just right. The sun was just right. I took a picture of it. I put it on my Instagram. I filtered it a little bit because, you know, that's what we do. I filtered it a little bit and, and I put it on Instagram and I couldn't help but be enamored and, and taken back by the beauty of Jerusalem. But here's what's interesting. Jesus stood in that same place in Matthew chapter 23. And when Jesus stood on the Mount of Olives, he, he had a different perspective than me. I looked and I said, how beautiful are the buildings? Jesus looked and saw the brokenness of the people in the buildings. When Jesus looked at Jerusalem in verse uh, 37 of Matthew 23, he says this, oh, Jerusalem, oh, Jerusalem. How often I would have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings. He goes on to say, y'all killed the prophets. Y'all killed the ones I sent to you. He had a burden over the lostness of, Jer of Jerusalem. And it's so funny. I sat in the same place and had a whole nother perspective. Here's my question for you. I wonder if we look at our relationships in our life and have a different perspective of what Jesus wants from that relationship. In other words, I wonder if we look at the, the, the jobs we go to and simply look at them as places we make money where Jesus is like, I got a different perspective for why you're on that job. You are not just there to make money, but I put you there to be Matthew 5, salt and light. I put you there because I want you to be my witness. I want you to be my glory reflector. I wonder if we have a different perspective of relationships. What about that? What, what about that intimate relationship that you are in right now? I wonder if you have a different perspective from what Jesus has. I wonder if we look at the families that we are born into and we look at the families and we're like, oh, I wish I was born in another family. No. God strategically placed you in that family. And if you've trusted in Jesus, I wonder if you have a different perspective of why you're in that family. Jesus wants you to be salt and light even in that family. Even stuff practical like the gyms we go to. You don't just go to that gym because it is um, a cheaper option than the rest of the gyms around you. You don't only go to that gym because uh, the equipment is nice. Oh, you got a crush on the trainer. That, that's not why we go to the gym. That may be some of the superficial reasons why we go to the gym. But Jesus perspective of you being a part of that gym and making it the price range it is so that you can get in there. The reason he does that is because he wants you to be his witness. We often have a different perspective on our relationships than what Jesus has. Same thing with our degrees. We look at our degrees as helping us to move up the corporate ladder. 
And don't, don't hear me say don't move up. Move up. Dude, dude, like secure the bag. I, I'm with you. Like, go ahead and move up. But at the same time, it is important for you to look at those relationships and look at that degree as something that can bring Jesus glory. Are you sitting on the Mount of Olives and you're looking at Jerusalem the way I did with a different perspective than how Jesus looks at it? And so he, Paul starts here and he says, listen, if you want to share your faith, you will have to have a burden. You will have to have a desire. Let's get really, really, really practical. Y'all at home, y'all chilling in your pajamas, eating breakfast. So y'all can take two seconds to do this. Think about three people in your life. Just three. Because I don't want you to be too overwhelmed. Think about three people in your life. And I simply want you to ask yourself, am I engaging them from from, from a perspective of what Jesus, how Jesus would want me to engage them? Well, what are three people that you know are hurt right now, that you know are, are dealing with dysfunction and dealing with the, the, the weightiness of the world? Are you engaging them the way Jesus would want you to engage them? And after you've sat on that long enough and you thought about your three people, why don't you just do me a favor and just simply start praying for them? And in fact, if you note verse one, that's exactly what Paul does. Paul says, my earnest or my heart's desire Watch this. And prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. He did not just stop at having a desire, but he moved his horizontal desire to be a vertical petition. He he moved it to be a prayer. And I wonder how many times we miss opportunities to engage people from a desire perspective, but also from a prayer perspective. How, How prayerless we are. How many times have we gone through life and gone through relationships and heard the the hardship of the people around us and we didn't spend time praying for them? Let me tell you something about prayer. Prayer can do much more than grinding can do any day. Prayer can do much more than strategizing can do any day. Prayer can do much more than your eloquence or lack of eloquence. Prayer for people is how God saves people. And so he says, my heart's desire and prayer. He moves it from just having a desire to making sure that he has a prayer life committed for somebody else. We, we often pray like this, like, Lord, bless me. Lord, open that door for me. Lord, help me get that job. Lord, help me secure this. Lord, increase my platform. And we pray these selfish prayers. But I wonder if God wants us to stop praying for ourselves and have a prayer life for somebody else. He says, my heart's desire and prayer is that they may be saved at some point when the virus passes, when, when, when this thing blows over, my, my hope is that you would do this. Go to a busy space. Take that $100 hand sanitizer with you, but go to a busy space and, and just sit for a second. In fact, sit for five minutes. Don't ask no questions. Don't evangelize. Don't go with no tracks. Don't go with a Jesus loves you uh, picture or or, 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 uh, uh, a frame or anything like that, a poster. Just go and sit and just watch. Go to a a, a busy mall or or, or go somewhere. Go go to a a busy intersection where people are walking. If you live here in New York, we got a lot of foot traffic. Go to Midtown and just sit. And when you are sitting, do me a favor and just Look at all of the people around you. And when you are looking at everybody that is walking around the next five minutes, I want you to just pray for them. Just simply pray like, like God, I, I don't I don't know these people's spiritual walk with you. But, Lord, if they don't know you, would you save them? 
Well, if they, if they don't know you, would you ransom their hearts for you? Sit in that busy space and do two things, pray, but also just watch. And in fact, man, I saw this um, earlier this week. Do, do me a favor, wherever you are, won't you grab your Bible or, or, or your phone and go back for me. Go to Matthew, right? Matthew chapter 9. In Matthew chapter 9, something so interesting happens. Matthew chapter 9, Jesus and the disciples are in a busy spot. Why? Because the Bible says that there's a crowd around them. And watch what Jesus does. In verse 36, this is Matthew 9. He says, when he saw the crowd, he meaning Jesus, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And then he said to the disciples, watch this, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord for the harvest. Watch this, to send out labors into the harvest. What is interesting is Jesus sat for a second and, and I don't know how long it was, but he looked around and he saw all of the people and he had compassion and he, he saw them as helpless. And so he told the boys that were with him, do me a favor and just pray for them. And this is what I want you to pray. I want you to pray that the Lord would send out workers into the harvest. Now, the answer to the prayer is so crazy, because if you sit long enough, even when you're in that busy space, When you pray that God would save people, the answer might be a little confusing to you because the answer might not be what you expected. For example, look at the answer to their prayer. They said, Lord, the harvest is plentiful. The laborers are few. I'm praying to you that you would send out laborers into the harvest. In chapter 10, verse 5, he answers the prayer request. And here it is. These 12, meaning the disciples, Jesus sent out. It is crazy to me that they prayed for workers. Jesus did not send a professional pastor. He sent them. He he looked at them and he he said that this is what I need you to do. I need y'all to go out. Y'all are the answer to your own prayer. And, and, And I wonder with you when you sit long enough and you watch and you sit and you are praying for people and you are praying that God would save people. I wonder if you're the answer. I wonder if he wants you to go out. And so in the passage before us with Paul, Paul says, this is what I want you to do. I want you to pray earnestly. Uh, I want you to pray like I'm praying. I want you to have a desire for people. Let me caution us really quickly that when you do pray for people and when you have a desire for people, God often puts on your heart people that you would never expect. For, For example, when I ask you to write three people down, most of you, probably would have written three of the most trifling people you know. You, you wrote the people that you like, yo, they way far from the Lord. But if you actually understand this passage before us in the book of Romans, Paul not praying for the dude that's smoking weed and sleeping around. Mm-mm. Paul is praying for the super religious. I mean, I mean look, at, look at the rest of the, the verse. In verse number two, he says, for I bear them witness that they have a zeal according to knowledge, but... Uh, for being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. It is so interesting to me that when uh, Paul decided to pray for people, he did not pray for the people that he thought were so far out. He prayed for the people that actually thought they were close. He prayed for the ones that had religious activity all over their life. He prayed for the ones that showed up to church. 
He prayed for the ones that serve in some capacity of the church. He, so he prayed for the ones that play instruments and sing. He prayed for the ones that are super religious. And I wonder if sometimes we're missing the opportunity to share the gospel with people because we don't think they're lost. We actually think they're found. But really what they're doing is leaning on their own righteousness. That is not the gospel. The gospel is not that you get into heaven by beating your chest and saying, look at me, look at my righteousness. The gospel is I have no righteousness outside of Jesus Christ. Because if I don't have Jesus Christ in my life, I can't make it. Why? Because the righteousness that God the Father accepts is perfect. My righteousness ain't perfect. The Bible says my righteousness is actually a filthy rag. So what I need is a righteousness that supersedes my righteousness. And so I love Paul because Paul prays and has a desire, but he has a desire for people that think that they're actually saved. This is my testimony. Man, I sat in church all my life. I almost felt like Oprah right there. All oh, my life I had to fight. I, I felt like I sat in church and I felt like I was close to Jesus. I had a false sense of security and it took a friend to share the gospel with me in the parking lot of the church shared the gospel with me and told me the good news about Jesus. He was in act- What he was acting out is Romans chapter 10. He was taking somebody that had a zeal, that had a seeming righteousness and said, you have no righteousness outside of Christ. And he shared the gospel with me. And it was that moment that I gave my life to the Lord. I wonder if we have to help people some people that have religious activity all over their life, I wonder if we first, in order to get them saved, have to get them unsaved. I wonder if we have to get them first to forsake their own righteousness. He literally says in verse 3, for being ignorant to the righteousness of God, they sought to establish their own righteousness. There's a book by one of my mentors, Brian Loritz. There's a book he wrote called Saving the Saved. That's what we need to do. We need to stop looking at the people that are seemingly far off and look at the people that can quote scripture. I want to know, are you living the scripture that you are quoting? Are you submitting your life to Jesus Christ? And so Paul here, he starts with with a desire. He moves from desire to a petition, prayer. And then from there, there has to be a willingness to be sent out. I'm going to jump really quickly to verse 14. Look at verse 14 of Romans chapter 10. Verse 14, he asks four questions. He says, how would they call on him who they have not believed? And how were they to believe in him and him who they have not heard? And how were they to hear without someone preaching? And then finally, how are they to preach unless they are sent? That this word sent sticks out to me. This word sent sticks out to me because I realize what he's expressing is a willingness to be used by God and sent out far too often. We've confused what evangelism is. Evangelism has we've reduced it to simply be invites to church. Come to my church. We, we play Chance the Rapper in the beginning. It's a, it's a cool church. The pastor wears cut-up jeans on. We can sip coffee and worship. It's just a, like a cool vibe, and we think that that is sharing the gospel, but let me help you, boo-boo, that ain't sharing the gospel. That that's not sharing the gospel. That is inviting people to church, but that's not what Paul is saying. He does not say, how can they preach unless they are invited to church? He says, how can they preach unless they're sent? You have to go out. God wants to use you. He wants you to go out. He wants you to be the one that is sent. And oftentimes we don't realize where we're sent to, the the, the places that you dwell. You were sent to the coffee shop that you were 
that you were making your, 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 your coffee at the barista that ma- that's making that coffee, coffee are, you, are you sent to them? Or maybe it's the people at work in the cubicle right next to you. Sometimes I think we, we overthink evangelism and we only think evangelism is standing in the subways and proclaiming Jesus. If you want to do that, please go ahead and do that. But oftentimes you're missing the people right around you. You can be sent right to them. How about the, the Uber driver or the people that are in the Uber? Sometimes I think it's important for us not to just take the straight ride. Sometimes you got to hit that, that, that option that allows other people can get in, in, in the Uber with you. So you can sit in the Uber with other people and start talking about Jesus Christ. It, it is so interesting. I saw this, um, this article. It talked about the average ride, Uber ride in New York is 5.4 miles. Do you realize 5.4 miles here in New York, specifically in Brooklyn, can take you 30 to 45 minutes? Do you know how much gospel truth you can get out in 30 to 45 minutes? Do you you realize how much you can tell people about your faith in 30 to 45 minutes? And so he says this. He says, listen, please have a desire, have a passion, but not only that, but I, I need you to pray for the people that you are wanting to engage. But not only that, I need you to be willing to go out and be sent because oftentimes I'm not sending the pastor to come to share the gospel with your friends. I'm actually sending you. I'm sending you to be the one that is a proclaimer of the good news. And don't get lost in this wording here because he says two times preaching, right? He says, How are they to hear without someone preaching and how are they to preach unless they are sent? Oftentimes, we think that it's the person on the pulpit's job to share the gospel with everybody. But you are that preacher. All right, let's do it this way. We're going to have a mass ordination today online. Everybody that is trusted in Jesus, you are now ordained to share the gospel. You are now ordained to preach the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ to your friends. Sometimes we think we need a title in order to share the gospel. You don't need the title. You don't even need to be eloquent. What he wants is faithfulness. God wants to know, are you available? Are you faithful enough to share your faith with people that don't know Jesus? He says, listen, how are they to preach unless they are sent? There's something so interesting about being sent. You know, oftentimes... We reduce evangelism to simply be, look at my life. But what do I mean by that? We, we, we just say, and there should be, the gospel should be smeared on your life. Philippians 1.27 says it best, only let the gospel, uh, let, let your, your, the gospel be uh, counted worthy of the manner of life. And so in other words, the gospel should reflect your life. But not only should the gospel reflect your life, you should have a proclamation of the gospel. You should be able to tell somebody else about the good news of Jesus Christ. And so Paul here deals with that. He says, listen, if you're going to preach, it's almost like he's saying you got to open your mouth. You got to tell somebody about the good news of Jesus Christ. You got to open your mouth. In in Acts chapter 8, there's something interesting that happens. The Bible says that uh, Philip is sent to the Ethiopian eunuch. And when he's sent to the Ethiopian eunuch, he's sent there simply to share the gospel with him. Verse 35, the Bible gives us a unique detail. It says, he opened his mouth. Do you you realize that detail doesn't need to be in there? Because the rest of that verse goes on to tell me that he showed him and told him the good news about Jesus Christ. So I know he opened his mouth because he told him about the good news of Jesus. But it gives us a detail that he opened his mouth. You got to share. You got to proclaim, not just say, look at my life. You got to say, here's what the gospel is. We, we got to be robust enough to know what 
the gospel actually is. And I love this idea of, the, of Philip sharing the gospel with the Ethiopian eunuch. The reason I like this idea is because if you consider with me, just kind of use back in the day, they would say, use your sanctified imagination. For a second, just consider this. Philip is sent to the Ethiopian eunuch, which is a court official in the court of Candace, which is a, the queen of Ethiopia. He's sent there to share the gospel with him. And I just can imagine Ethiopia now gets the gospel because this Ethiopian eunuch is now saved. Now, I know he's saved. Why? Because he gets baptized. And, and so I can imagine him going back to Africa. Well, which is dope to me because oftentimes what I often hear, especially in today's age, is Christianity is a white man's religion. But when you consider that Philip opened his mouth, shared the gospel with, with, uh, with the Ethiopian eunuch, he goes back. That means the gospel would have hit Africa at least between 61 and 64 A.D. Like consider with me that if you look at the transatlantic Atlantic slavery The first slave didn't hit the shores until 1619, 1,500 years before they hit the shores of America, the gospel already hit Africa. Why? Because one person was faithful to open his mouth. Could you be that person? Could you be the person that Jesus is asking to open their mouth? And so he says, listen, how can they preach unless they are sent? He starts with a burden. He moves to prayer. After prayer, that there is a clear willingness to be sent. And finally, I'll end with this. If you consider with me the last couple of verses here, it shows me in order to be good or equipped for evangelism, there has to be a commitment to God's word. In other words, man, I found this so interesting. I'll end here and let you guys continue to chat. Our pastors are in the room, by the way, and some of our deacons are, are, are in the chat room. So if you have questions, you should be asking them those questions. And if you need prayer, if you want to give your life to the Lord, somebody's in there right now that can walk you through that. Watch what happens here. Watch the commitment that Paul has to the word of God. Verse 18, he quotes Psalm 19. Look how interesting this is. Verse 19, he quotes Deuteronomy 32. Verse 20 He quotes Isaiah 65. In other words, Paul had a beastie regiment of working through the Old Testament and bringing that as part of evangelism. Oftentimes, we don't like to evangelize because we don't want those questions. Y'all know those questions. Those questions that you get that you feel stumped. But what Paul is pursuing with us today is we we shouldn't be those Christians that say, I'll get back to you. Nah, nah, nah. I'm actually going to help you with the word right here, right now. Why? Because I've spent enough time in God's word that it is oozing out of you. I don't want to pastor a church that is biblically illiterate. I I want to pastor a church full of young people that are dope, killing it on their jobs, entrepreneurs, making money. But at the same time, they know their word without being weird. They just know their word. They know their word that they can share it at any given moment. That's what Paul does. He says, I got three passages that I want to take you to. And he points us back over and over again to the Old Testament. Psalm 19, Deuteronomy 32, Isaiah 65. Christians, we should know our Bibles. Christians, we, 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 should, we should have enough in us that we can share the good news of Christ at any given moment. Let me give you this story before I end. When I was living in Philadelphia, um, parking situation was really bad where I was living. And I drove around one day for about 45 minutes looking for a spot and finally found a spot, uh, a parking spot. I pull into the spot and I'm getting out of the car 
And as I'm getting out of the car, this young lady runs up to me and starts sharing the gospel with me. I wanted to play, so I was a pastor at the time, but I wanted to play some games, so I, was, I act like I didn't know Jesus. I was like, tell me more about this Jesus. And she's telling me, and I'm trying to contradict her, and she's hitting me with the word, and I'm giving her combating scriptures, and she's hitting me. And it, even though I believed in Jesus and I was pastoring at the time, it was almost as though I wanted to give my life to the Lord all over again. Because this young lady was faithful enough to stick with me, to be patient with me, to work me through the scriptures, not her opinion. To work me through the Bible. And, and likewise, I'm encouraged with our church. I've seen growth, man. I've seen young ladies be serious about the word. I've seen young men serious about the word. I'm thinking about one specific young lady. I don't know if she's watching right now, but I texted her earlier this week. And I was just praising God and praying for her. Young lady named Tracy. I remember when she first came to our church. She first came to our church. She was hungry and she was serious about the word of God. And it was so interesting to me that I saw such a hunger with her that I bought her a Bible. When I gave her that Bible, it was interesting that years later, when I looked at the Bible, it was ripped all to shreds. She spent time. The binding was falling apart. Tracy, I got another Bible for you. The binding was falling all apart. It was all marked up. Jesus is my bae. Jesus is my boo. And really what I was seeing with her is somebody that was dedicated and committed to the word of God. Let's end like this. Here's the question you should be asking. I hear you, Pastor B. I get it. Evangelism starts with a burden. Uh, engaging with lost people, needs, you need to pray for them. Uh, you need to have a willingness to be sent and you need to have a commitment to God's word. Here's the question. What is the message of the gospel? What are we taking to people? Here's the message of the gospel. I'll end it right here by saying that there is a holy God in heaven that loves you madly in love with you. But he doesn't just love you. You got to understand that he's holy, that that's an attribute of God. He cannot separate his love and his holiness from who he is. God is a God that is absolutely holy. There's a verse in 1 Timothy 6 that says he dwells in unapproachable light. Can you imagine that, that God, you can, sin can't be brought into the presence of God. Here's the problem. We're actually opposite. We are not holy. We, we are what the Bible would call sinful. And it is that sin that has separated us from God. Where did that sin come from? It's not just behavior. Your behavior really is the acting out of the sin. The, the sin is inherited. It's, it's a part of your nature. In, in fact, uh, I, I love Paul's words in Ephesians chapter 2. He says, we were dead in our sins and the trespasses in which we once walked, following the course of this world by nature. We were children of wrath. So God is holy. We are sinful. Here's the problem. How do we bridge that gap in order to be in relationship with God? Here's one, one way to do it. And the only way, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, over 2,000 years ago, gets on a cross and decides, the innocent Jesus Christ decides to take on the sins of the world. The innocent becomes guilty so that the guilty can be innocent. How do I accept this good news of Jesus Christ? Maybe you're online. Maybe you don't know Jesus and you're asking yourself, how do I accept this good news of Jesus Christ? It's so simple. It's by faith alone, through grace alone, and Jesus Christ alone. I don't know who I'm talking to. I really don't know who's on the other end of that camera. But I know this, that we live in a world that is broken, a world that is full of disease and stress and emotional turmoil, you need Jesus. If you trusted in him, you need him today like you need him when you first met him.
If you don't know who Jesus is, you need him today. So I'm going to simply end our time by praying. I want to pray for you. I got up early this morning to pray for you, but I want to spend time praying for you now because I believe that salvation is a work of the spirit. Salvation is by God's own work. Do me a favor. If you could just, wherever you are, bow your head. I don't care if you're in a busy spot. Bow your head. Let's, let's spend some time praying about what this means to give our life to Jesus Christ. Father, I thank you so much for your continued faithfulness to your body. You love us way more than we love you. Father, I thank you for that. But it is without your love that we would never be accepted by you. But because you were gracious and merciful and loving, you decided to look on people like us and say, I want them. In the midst of our brokenness, you didn't wait for us to clean ourselves up. You wanted us like we are. Romans says, Romans 5 says, while we were yet sinners, you died for us. And so, Father, I thank you, oh God, for dying for wretched sinners like us and raising us up to new life. And now that we have new life, we are able to love our neighbors better. We are able to, to love the unlovable better. And so, Father, I pray, oh God, that you would do a work in the hearts of the people in this room, whether they're operating a camera, doing sound, leading worship, doing security. Father, would you do a work in our hearts now? But I also pray for those that are on the opposite side of this camera. Lord, I pray, oh God, that you would do a work in their hearts as well. It's in Christ's beautiful name we pray. Amen.